Hey there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 232 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We got some pretty significant, some pretty major basketball news that is going to impact, change, and shape the upcoming basketball season. We wanted to come to you just minutes after hearing the news. First of all, before we get to the news, we have to tell you who the heck we are. Like, people don't know who we are? Come on. I'm Jason Evans. I'm your host this week. Joining me, as always, Sam Klein and Donald Wine. Both you guys at the same time say basketball. 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 No, oh, beautiful coordination. Nice job, guys. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so the news was this. It has just been announced that the NCAA Division I Council, these are the folks who basically run basketball for the NCAA, they voted to push the start date of the basketball season back from November 10th to November 25th. That is the day before Thanksgiving. This is not a surprise. A lot of people saw this coming. A lot of people have been talking about this. In fact, we've been hearing maybe November 21st, maybe November 23rd. They settled on Wednesday, November 25th. The reason that they have picked this date is because uh, they said around three quarters of all schools will be out for Thanksgiving by November 25th. Students will have left. They will have gone home. They will no longer be at school. And the theory is that in this crazy COVID you know, world that we're in, when you have no students on campus, it maybe allows you to, to bubble up things a little bit, to, to get teams together in different places, and, and they don't have to worry as much about classes because classes are out for Thanksgiving. You create these bubbles and you begin to play some games. There's a lot more that came into this um, uh, that came out in this decision, including the number of games you're going to play and all kinds of other stuff like that. We'll get to that in a moment, but I want immediate reaction from each of you guys. Sam, I'll go to you first. Uh, what is your thought about this decision, about the NCAA basketball season happening on the eve of Thanksgiving? First of all, I think it is going to be a frenzy of schools trying to rejigger schedules because the normal timeline for schools is that over the summer and even back into the spring, they're scheduling their non-conference games. A lot of the exempt tournaments have already been planned. So like Duke was already supposed to be in an exempt tournament. Lots of other teams that week of Thanksgiving already had their plans in place. And now everything is moving around. So the NCAA has said that teams the, the maximum number of games that you can play is is like four or five games fewer than it is normally. So teams are now scrambling to figure out one, especially for the lower level division teams, division one teams, are we going to play? And two, can we can we still recoup the schedule that we thought we had? So Duke probably had a lot of these non-conference games already in place. Now they have to figure out which ones to drop if they need to move any of them around how what are all the protocols going to be and in the meantime all of the conferences are probably determining what is their protocol for allowing other schools on campus what kind of travel are they restricting to does it matter where the virus is at that point or you know if there's a if there's a hot spot in a certain part of the country are schools not going to let their programs travel to those parts of the country or let visitors come from those parts of the country. The PAC 12 is still out there saying that they're not going to have sports until the beginning of January. So, so that's all still up in the air. And meanwhile, all of this came down the same day that the big 10 announced that they're starting football back up. So all of these athletic directors are, are up to their eyeballs right now in decision-making about how all of this is going to work. So I am, I, I think my total initial reaction is 
boy, I feel bad for the ADs and, and all the, the folks in the programs who are trying to, to manage all of these logistics right now. But as a basketball fan, I think I'm excited. I, 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 I think I've expressed the most hesitation among the three of us this summer about, about the likelihood of basketball returning this year at the college level and about how good of an idea it is for that to happen. So my, my skepticism remains. We've seen a lot of these football programs have guys get sidelined because of of getting COVID. We don't yet know what it means for for players or coaches to contract the virus if that's going to affect them long term. All of that is still kind of in the same in the same can. But you know, I, I've enjoyed watching the NBA the last couple months. I'm sure I will enjoy watching and talking about college basketball when it returns in November. So I'm excited that that they're planning this way and. Among the announcements that we've had all this summer about sports returning, I believe this is the longest lead time that any league or NCAA has given themselves for figuring out how this is going to work. So maybe they are taking best practices from the NBA, from MLS, from NHL on on how to make this thing work correctly. And hopefully by November 25th, we have an idea that there is a sound plan in place to keep the players and coaches and fans all safe while we get to enjoy the games. So Sam, you made a great point. Uh, any Anybody who has ever complained about athletic directors making too much money, <laughs> this year they're earning every damn penny of their salary. And, and, even, as the, and even as they're probably all taking pay cuts, like, like we know right. that, that they are at Duke, they, right. they have so much work to do ahead of them. So there's another important aspect of this announcement that I want us to get into. And Donald, I'm going to let you chat about this um, uh, you know, for a little bit. The NCAA also announced that the minimum number of games, the minimum that you ha- would have to play to be considered for the NCAA tournament is 13. In the past, it was 25. They cut it in half. They cut it by 50% down to 13. And hand in hand with that, they announced something else. They said... They want teams to play a minimum of four non-conference games. Four non-conference games, 13 games um, played total. That's their minimums that they're setting. And they said, Dave Gavitt said, the reason that for those four non-conference games was the, the selection committee, both the men's and women's selection committees, were part of this decision. And they said, we really need to see teams playing you know, non-conference games. We need to see them playing outside their conference to get an idea of how these different conferences are. But they, they did agree. They, they cut the number of games, um, the potential games you can play in half, because I think there are going to be some conferences, smaller conferences especially, that are going to have real trouble playing a lot of games. So now 13 is the number you need to get to to get into the tournament. Donald, talk to me a little bit about how these games are going to work, the non-conference spe- schedule especially, because I feel like what the NCAA has set up is – the month of December is going to be non-conference basketball for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And really, I think when it starts, let's start with the start date of November 25th. Mind you that normally when this happens, you have 42 days of practice. That that date is October 14th where practice, practices can start. But they also said that they can step up strength and conditioning before that a couple of weeks. I believe that's September 21st in a, in a week or so. But the problem is that normally – Duke and other schools would have exhibition games, at least two against usually division two opponents or other, other teams. Uh, you know, back in the day, we had those barnstorming teams that we would play uh, exhibition games against and they can't have scrimmages either. So no blue white scrimmage, no countdown to craziness, none of that. So the first time that we can see this team play 
would be on November 25th. And most likely that will be in the battle to Atlantis, which will now be played in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So that is usually, that is probably how a lot of these teams are going to get in some of these non-conference games as being part of these, what they call multi-team events, uh, but the early season tournaments, those are the ones that they're trying to figure out where to play these so that they can have some sort of bubble uh, and then move from there uh, into the non-conference portion of the season. Now, Jason, you alluded to it. The fact that three quarters of campuses around the nation, for the most part, are going to have their kids sent home by the start of Thanksgiving, that allows the teams to form little mini bubbles with a couple of non-conference teams during the month of December and to get in as many games as possible. Where normally, you know, for Duke, we have that finals period where in December between you know, finals and studying and stuff like, and just the holidays, we usually only have like three or four games after December 4th. We've already heard that Duke is probably, Duke is part of the battle for Atlantis. We've already heard that Duke's probably going to bubble up in Sioux Falls, South Dakota for the battle mm-hmm. for Atlantis with a, with a bunch of other really good teams. Creighton, who's a cl- clear top 10, maybe even top five teams going to be there. Uh, you know, really nice bubble that's going to happen there. Um, that's that Duke's going to be a part of that. That is, uh, you know, exactly what you're talking about. And the teams that are already a part of these early season tournaments, they're in the driver's seat because they don't have to worry about where those four minimum games are going to come from in the non-conference schedule. It's like you said, those mid-majors who may see some of their games canceled by the Blue Bloods and by the Power Five conferences because they are going to be the ones that are going to be trying to scramble to get some of these games in. But I will say that because December has that opportunity to form some of these bubbles, I'm sure, like you guys said, all these 80s hopefully are talking to each other these coaches are talking to each other. I expect to see a lot of coaches that have links, whether they be a coaching tree or something or their friends, watch them link up and see, okay, how can we get our two teams and then another two teams into a bubble and, and play three games and be done with it. And I think that is where you're going to see some of the creativeness of some of these coaches, but make no mistake when it comes to this, I think we've said this over and over again, but it's kind of been clear today that this is still the NCAA kind of saying, okay, here's your date. And it's up to the coaches to make something of it. And the coaches I feel in college basketball are way more motivated to get things done in a safe manner than we've seen so far from some of the college football schools. Uh, you mean you talked about the Big Ten starting, you know, uh, saying they're starting up today. At the same time, Penn State announced that 50 uh, student athletes in their program caught COVID in the last seven days. So clearly, there's something going on up there. There's something going on with LSU, where Ed Orgeron says, you know what, most of my team probably already has it, so it's fine. Those sort of things you're not hearing from basketball circles. You're hearing guys like Coach K and a lot of the coaches in the ACC and other places saying, here's what we need to do to make it as safe as possible, but also get as many games as we can in in a safe manner. So I'll say one thing about this uh, this recommendation that every school play a minimum of four non-conference games. And I'm sure that the selection committee would like it to be way more than that. And and I'm sure most of the schools at Duke – uh, you know, Duke can get paid a tremendous amount of money to play just about anybody on TV. Duke's going to want to play more than four non-conference games. But one thing I want to mention about that notion is I think the NCAA understands that they have to protect some of those smaller schools. So, Jason, I just want to you, you push back a little bit. It's going to be interesting to see what the ACC does, because normally, I mean, last year was the debut of a 20 game conference schedule. So if we can only play 25 to 26 games, that's not a lot of wiggle room for Duke to be able to play a lot of non-conference games. 
Yeah, no, no, Donald, I, I hear you. And I, I, I agree. It's going to be really interesting to see what the conferences do. My point was going to be, I think the NCAA understands that there are a lot of programs out there, smaller programs that need to play the bigger programs. They need the paydays that they get from playing those bigger programs. Even if those paydays are smaller than they have been in the past, because you're not going to have as many fans in the stands, if any fans in the stands, they need some kind of payday to keep their programs alive. It is really important to some of these small schools that they get some money from the big schools in terms of play, buy games, as they're called, games where the big schools pay them just to come play. So I, I, I think that's that's a really big deal, and and you're going to see some of that. You talked about, Donald, the notion of a couple of big power schools get together with maybe a couple smaller schools, and they play a little round robin in a bubble, and suddenly you get you know three games out of something like that. I, all of this, of course, is leading up to an NCAA tournament, which by, by starting in November – I think the NCAA is clearly saying we want to have our tournament still in March. They want March Madness, even though, you know, we, we've joked about the fact that they've they've uh, they've uh, what was it? The battle in the bubble they've copyrighted in case they need to move outside of March Madness. But they love the term March Madness. And it looks like that's what they're still planning to do. Sam, you agree? I think that's clearly the plan they're going for. The big question is, are we actually going to get there? So far, we've only had a couple weeks of college football and there are a lot of teams who have been hit by the by the virus. We talked last week about the ACC having to redo the schedule already because of Virginia Tech's outbreak, and we don't know what more is to come from that. So the NCAA, I, I think you're right, is saying here, look, we're basically just going to have the same schedule we normally do. We're just lopping off the first few weeks of the season. Does Do those first three weeks really matter? Like if, if the Champions Classic happened – over Thanksgiving week as opposed to the beginning of November, would it really have a material impact on college basketball? Probably not that much, but the NCAA looks at March Madness as being the, it's the crown jewel of not just the basketball season, but of the entire NCAA. That's where most of their revenue comes from, is from putting on the men's basketball 900 tournament. Million. 900 and I am million. Sure, and I am sure they do not want to move it. They, they would like to leave it right where it is. I don't know that it's staying there. And... And it might take teams longer to finish their seasons. There is with football, actually, I think there are more issues with constraining the season to where it is. Like it, the the football season is more is more logically constrained around one, the Christmas holiday season, because that's where the bowls are, and two, being done before the second semester starts. And especially this year, because of because of COVID concerns, they really want to have the football season wrapped up before students come back to campus for second semester. Otherwise, you have a whole other host of problems. The basketball season doesn't really rely on that. The basketball season is basically limited by the TV properties because CBS owns the NCAA tournament and they also own the Masters, which happens the weekend after the NCAA tournament. Is the Masters, I mean, the Masters is happening this fall in for the first time ever. So is it going to happen again in the spring? Who knows? Maybe, maybe not. But but I think what what we're doing here, which is what we're doing across all of society, is is breaking the requirements that are normally set on the calendar around holidays and 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 major events because everything is changing. So as much as the NCAA probably thinks, oh, we must keep the the basketball tournament in March, I think there is going to come a time, perhaps even before the end of this calendar year, when they say, you know what, if we have March Madness in April or in May it's going to be probably the same thing. And, and so you might see it pushed out. So I think this is their hope, but I, I would not remain optimistic that they are going to keep the schedule exactly how it is. Cause we are still 
a very long way away from the end of the college basketball season. Well, that's a good place to end the conversation. Um, uh, we have a lot more to say about this in coming days and, and perhaps coming up after the break. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, parting shots from each of us on a variety of different topics. Stay with us. Okay, guys, uh, about time to wrap things up here on a very special, uh, I guess, somewhat emergency podcast. Um, but l- let's have some parting shots. Um, Donald, I'll go to you first, because I think you still want to say a little bit more uh, about the news we got today about the NCAA and the college basketball season starting up in November. Yeah, well, right before the break, you know, Sam was very, very eloquent. And also, he was very correct in explaining that all of this is kind of, you know, weird to kind of be speculating on and just that we have some hardcore dates. Mind you, these Donald, days can Donald, change. can you, Donald, I, 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 I want to play that back. You said that I was eloquent and correct. Is that eloquent right? And I was going to say eloquent and accurate, but I, I just couldn't, my, my tongue was tied, so I couldn't actually say it that way. But yes, I, I, I just wanted, hey. I, I just wanted, <laughs> I wanted exact clarity on, on, on the way you described me. Thank yeah. you very Sam, much. I, I, no I know it's rare, Sam. I know it's rare, but sometimes you are eloquent and correct at the same I, time. I appreciate that. <laughs> it's a nice feeling, isn't it? Um, but here's the thing. All of this can change because this right now is in place until October 13th, which is when the NCAA is going to meet again and decide whether or not all of this is going to happen. There's still a lot of parameters that need to be worked out. Again, you know, you talked about, Jason, you talked about some of the mid-majors that are going to be finding, trying to find games. If you recall, a few years back, a lot of these mid-majors were really pissed off at the fact that they weren't getting the fair shake at getting into the NCAA tournament. So they created that bracket buster, uh, bubble buster weekend where like a bunch of them just played each other. And that way they were able to get some kind of you know strong non-conference wins uh, to kind of boost up the resume. I can see that happening this year. I don't know how it would happen, but I could see something you know, on a smaller scale happening where some of these non, uh, these mid-major teams that are pretty decent and just need that resume booster are going to say, hey, why don't we just play each other? If they're not going to play us, we can play each other, and at least we can maybe get, you know, two bids instead of just one. So I look for a lot of creativity from these coaches, a lot of creativity from these athletic departments. But at the same time, the one thing about the schedule that's really going to impact things is football. The reason why they were they were planning on starting on November 21st, the reason why they didn't was because they didn't want to have football games going on at the same time as the opening of basketball season. They wanted to have basketball games going on on campuses by themselves. So the fact that football is going to be played well into December with with conference uh, conference championships and also with the Big Ten just deciding they're just going to play through basically Christmas and then you have this Christmas season – Look for a lot of games to be midweek, especially with the fact that there are no fans that are going to be at a lot of these games. They can schedule more midweek games. I'm going to be interested to see how they counteract the weekends being lost for the first month and a half of the season due to football, or if they're just going to eventually say, yes, we can come, you know, compete with these late season football games. So it'll be interesting to see how this all works out. But again, the the next date on the list October 13th, that is the day before practices are supposed to open. We will find out if they for sure will start on October 14th. Uh, Sam, parting shot time. Uh, I go to you for birthday wishes, right? That is right. We have birthday wishes this week for Duke coach David Cutcliffe. I believe he's 66 years old 
And uh, I, I, I'm not going to say he's as he's as healthy as ever because we we don't know that. Uh, not that I'm speculating or anything, but but he looks good for 66. He's still running the football team. Uh, and there were some pictures tweeted out today of him and his family, and he looked great with with all of his grandkids. And I would note that he was wearing some very cool sneakers. Not he was. Like, they were they very were not, stylish. You know, like for a for a, for a grandpa with a with a bunch of grandkids, Coach Cockliffe is is very cool. He I'm gonna tell a, you, man. Like y'all y'all sleeping on my boy D Cut. He's got some swag. You know, remember last it was like last year. Every single week, every time we'd win, he'd do some Motown dance with one of the uh, one of the uh, people who work in the in the Yo Center. Like, yo, my man's got some style. He's got some swag, and he's got some flavor. And that was exuding itself today like the man it's his birthday so give that man his a, roses he's the man coach cut coach cut is a is a low-key most interesting man in the world you you don't know this because he's a football coach and so he's obsessive about his job but he is low-key a most interesting man in the world type of dude i just love the pictures of the grandkids that were tweeted out by by coach's um wife and and she commented when she tweeted them out that like she had to take like 50 different pictures just to get three or four and that there wasn't a single one of them where all the grandkids had their eyes open. It was as a parent. I know you guys are not a parent, but as a parent, I looked at it and I went, yep, I've been there many, many, many times. It was it was inc- incredibly cute and incredibly Yo, sweet. Jason, by the way, that was low key sneaky as a parent. You guys may not be a parent. That was, that was pretty good, man. Yeah, thank you. I do my best. All right. Time for my parting shot. And um, uh, by the way, folks, there's been a lot of NBA news going on. We're going to be talking this weekend when we have another podcast. We're going to get into depth about some of the really cool, really interesting stuff that's happening in the NBA. But I did want to very quickly just make note of the fact that Jason Tatum today was named third team all NBA. He becomes just the fifth Blue Devil of all time to be named to one of the all NBA teams. Grant Hill did it five times. He was a first teamer once. Four times Grant Hill was a second-teamer. Kyrie Irving has been a two-time All-NBA player, once second, once third. Elton Brand made a second team. Carlos Boozer made third-team All-NBA, and now Jason Tatum joins them as a third-team All-NBA player. So congrats, Jason. That's great. Ready for my comment on it? You were robbed, my friend. There is no question in my mind that Jason Tatum should have been second-team All-NBA, not third-team All-NBA. Pascal Siakam of the Toronto Raptors was named as the uh, second team all NBA power forward. Jason Tatum averaged more points than he did. Jason Tatum is a better defender than he is. Jason Tatum is a far, far, far better three-point shooter than Pascal Siakam is. All you had to do was watch these NBA playoffs when Pascal Siakam disappeared, couldn't do anything against Jason Tatum, absolutely got owned by Jason Tatum to understand that if you were asking any NBA GM today, any NBA fan today, any NBA player today, hey, who's better, Pascal Siakam or Jason Tatum? Every damn one of them would tell you that it is Jason Tatum. It is absurd. It is ridiculous that the writers picked Siakam over Jason Tatum. And this is a one-year aberration. Next year, Jason. Next year, Jason Tatum will be ahead of Siakam. I think Jason Tatum is going to be at least a second-team All NBA player for a long, long, long time. He's 22 years old. Book this guy for the next decade as one of the 10 best players in the NBA. And the only reason Siakam didn't get his entire life blocked out of him in Game One of the Eastern Conference Finals, as Tatum did, is that Tatum bounced Siakam from from the playoffs in the round prior. Yeah. So. Yeah. So we were going to. I, I I had to say it was very sad to see Jason Tatum get get his soul removed by Bam Adebayo, but not before he earned 
that that third team all NBA selection. And, and I, I want I want to point out he had a great game in that game. Yes, he came up short down the stretch a couple times, but he had a great overall game. He is Boston's go-to player. And what we saw in that final block was either one of the all-time great dunks in uh, you know in game-ending NBA playoff histories, or one of the all-time great blocks. And Tatum was almost the all-time great dunk. Instead, he tried it. He's the all-time he great it. block. He went for it. Yep. I will say, uh, you know, I, I do think he was snubbed. We could, we're going to talk at length about uh, on Sunday about the All NBA team and whether you know Tatum should have made it. Also, the block and how I think that while it was a superb block, it was not the best playoff block of all time. Sub Tayshawn Prince, uh, but I will say this: he was not the biggest snub, in my opinion, on this All NBA team. Bradley Beal has become the first player ever to average thirty points a game and not make a single All-NBA team. That, my friends, is the biggest snub of the entire NBA season. Yeah, and for some, uh, the guy who made it, he made second-team All-NBA, and I don't understand it, was Chris Paul, CP3. I, I, I don't get why they put CP3 on the second-team All-NBA team, other than maybe they thought he was five years younger than he is today. But, you know, what? we're, we're going to get into I this. Ju- and, I, I want Julius, yeah. Hodge, I, Julius Hodge, if, if you somehow listen to this podcast. I would like <laughs> your take on Chris Paul making second-team All-NBA. Yeah, but Julius, make sure you wear a cup anytime you talk about CP. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to do it for us here on the latest episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It was a big news episode, and we want to thank you for joining us. We'll be back again this weekend. We know we're dropping lots of content on you. This is like our fourth episode in five days or something crazy like that. But that's because we got a lot to talk about. No sleep. You know you love it. You know you love it. So for Sam and Donald, I am Jason. It is now up to the Duke band to play us out and take us home.